Get ready to write, get your phones out, get ready to take pictures of the screen. Let's go into what I think is the most exciting letter of the 26. If, if chance exists, then God doesn't exist. If chance exists, then, then God can't exist. Why? Because chance means there is something that God doesn't control. There's no such thing as chance. Or as the great Christian writer from the 19th century, J.C. Ryle, said it like this. He says, nothing would ever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and his permission. There is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. Folks, God has left nothing to those three words, chance, accident, or coincidence. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good. Now, here's what's important. God's day-to-day involvement in your life is called God's providence. Now, I'm going to stay with that word for just a few moments. That means his work, mostly many times unseen and many times goes unnoticed, but it's always present and active in our lives. Daily things that you're faced even today may look like happenstance or accidental, but God is behind these things. When I was starting in ministry, for some reason, I had this passion to study the life of a, of a politician, and I was always reading and studying the life of Abraham Lincoln. And one of my most amazing stories of providence in his life was how God was ordering what seemed like accidents, happenstance, and chance, but it was God ordering something, and God ordering his life. I was remembering the story that on the front porch of the little country store that Lincoln and his friend Barry Rand in Illinois, his partner and him stood on the front porch of their business realizing that they were going out of business, that they didn't have much to do, um, that they could rescue their, their, their little country store. And, as a look, and he said, it looks as if our business has just, he said, winked out. And he continued, he says, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if it's, we're done with this little country store. But Lincoln said, I want to study law. And he goes, and I wouldn't mind so much if we could sell everything, pay our bills. He says, I just want enough money left, Lincoln said, to buy one book. And it was called Blackstone's Commentary on English Law. He says, that's all I want. But I can't because we're we're, we're, we're so in debt, we just can't do it. And he said, when he said that, a strange-looking wagon pulled up to the country store, and the driver literally was moving his family out west because he was out of money. And this is what it said. He said, I have one good barrel I'd like to sell so I can get to, to the west. He said, I'd like to sell it for 50 cents. And Lincoln knew that he didn't have any money, and he, but he looked over at the wife that was sitting in this carriage And he said, I looked at her. She looked so depleted and emaciated that Lincoln put his hand in his pocket, took out the last 50 cents he had, and he said, well, I reckon we can use a good barrel. Gave him the last 50 cents. He said he was chided by his 
his business partner, Barry, and said, what in the world did you just do, giving the last 50 cents that we had? And he said, and for the entire day, he was yelled at and chided. And then this is the part that got me. He said, then late in the evening, Lincoln, just for some reason, took his long arms, reached down in the barrel, and felt a book. He pulls out the book, and it's Blackstone's commentary on English law that's in the, ba- the good barrel that's there. And Lincoln said this. He said, I stood there holding a book, looking up towards God with this impression that he had something more for my life. Folks, listen to me. That's called providence. That's not an accident. It's God beginning to do something great in this man's life. See, providence is God's involvement and orchestrating every day and in every place. Providence reminds us that every detail, I know this is a a tough word for us to hear today in leadership, but providence means God is micromanaging all the details of our life, disqualifying coincidence and chance to be part of it. Or somebody says, God loves the details. He loves all the details. He goes on to say, Derek Thomas says, and in the details that we discern his hand of providence, he's ruling, directing, providing, sustaining, preventing, surprising. And what may look catastrophic from one point of view will appear from another angle that God is working out his plans because he never stops working on our behalf. We honor God when we remove words like luck, good fortune, and coincidence from our language and describe it as God's providential hand. Look at me for a second. I'm not lucky. I'm in Christ. I'm not. I don't have good fortune. I have a good God. So it's no longer luck. Oh, you're lucky you go to that church. You're lucky you live in New York. No, it's God's hand that's upon our life. Here it is. You do not happen to be in the right place at the right time. You are in Christ, which means you're in the right place. That's what we're called to do. That's what God has asked us to do. Trusting God's providence means believing that God can use, don't miss this, a string of unrelated events in your mind to accomplish his purposes. Things that you don't think go together. See, we don't always understand what God is doing. Here's a news flash. You don't have to. You're not God. He knows the end from the beginning. He sits at a place that none of us sit. Here's a thought for you. I was thinking about this reading through Acts. What does the great commission and the great persecution in Acts have in common? Think of that. I'll tell you what the answer is. The providence of God. God using seemingly unrelated events to accomplish his purpose. Great persecution, great commission. Explain, Pastor Tim. Listen to the great persecution. Acts 1, 8, verse 1. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Say those two places with me. Judea and Samaria. The Bible says, except for the apostles. Why? As for Paul, he was making, Saul, he was making havoc in the church, entering houses, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. But therefore, those who were scattered, according to verse 1, the great, the great persecution, 
those who were scattered everywhere were preaching the word. Where were they preaching the word? Okay, everywhere. But everywhere in what two places? Judea and said, that sounds familiar to me. Here it comes. Great commission. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in where? Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost or the end of the earth. So how does God get them to Judea and Samaria? Through the great persecution. So what seems to be a problem is actually the providence of God. What seems to be something that you would be complaining about, God goes, be quiet because I'm opening up doors that you don't even, couldn't even have gotten through unless I disguise the person as a thrusting out for the, great, for the great commission. What you thought and what God thought are two different things. Listen to me, church. Because his ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, 9. So are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. That word higher also means greater. When God works on a higher level, He's writing a greater story that none of us can even figure out. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Remember, nothing is luck, nothing is coincidence, nothing is happenstance. God is working the story out. So how does God get the gospel to Africa? Philip is on a desert road where nobody would be traveling, but there happened to be an Ethiopian eunuch who happened to be reading Isaiah 53 who happened to say, I have no one ex to explain the passage to me, who happened to be riding his, his chariot next to the first deacon of the early church, who happened to be in the desert at the right time when the chariot passed by, explains it to him and says, you should be water baptized. And at that time, there happens to be a body of water to baptize him in at that same time. That's not accident. That's the providence of God. Jesus happened to be at a well in Samaria to get a rest. And there happened to be one lady there that would be the key to the whole city believing in Jesus. How about Joseph's life? Falsely accused of rape in his job in Egypt and sent to prison. And what seemed to be or the bad luck of a bad rap that he is sent to prison, there happened to be two of Pharaoh's employees in the jail, happened to have a dream, and oh, by the way, Joseph knows how to interpret dreams while he's in prison. Didn't interpret dreams from a church service or from a website or with a suit on, but he had to do it in jail. So he happens to interpret the dreams, and these men happen to tell Pharaoh there's a dream guy in jail. So Pharaoh happens to have a dream. They happen to bring Joseph out, and Joseph happens to become the prime minister. There's no coincidence with God. How about Times Square Church Providence? David Wilkerson comes to New York City. He came for the trial of the dragons who killed a 15-year-old boy with polio in Central Park. 
And when he tried to get into the courtroom, they happened not to let him get into court. But they happened to also take a picture of him holding up a Bible outside of the court. And they happened to put it in the daily newspaper of New York City. And it was happened to be seen by the Mau Maus, which Nikki Cruz was part of that gang. And David Wilkerson thought he happened to be there for the dragons. But God happened to have him there for Nikki Cruz to start Teen Challenge and eventually start Times Square Church. And while he is preaching on the streets of New York City, there happens to be Nikki Cruz out there listening in Brooklyn, New York. And there happened to be a cop that was going to shut him down. But there happened to be a cop that outranks him, who's a believer in Jesus, that says, why are you going to shut him down? Let the man preach. And that man happened to be my dad that says, let the man preach. There is no coincidence. We serve a big God. He never stops. He never stops working. David Wilkerson happened to be cleaning out his glove compartment full of preaching cassettes in the Lincoln Tunnel because there was traffic but he had happened to have two cassettes in his hand that happened to be sent to him from Leonard Ravenhill that happened to be unlistened to for two years. And so he happened to throw everything out except those two cassettes that he happened to listen to, and it was a man named Carter Conlon. So he decided that maybe I should invite him to come speak at the church. And Carter Collin and Teresa Collin happened to come to Times Square Church and happened to not just stay for one Tuesday night, but happened to stay for 27 years. There is no, there is no chance. If you believe in chance, go to Vegas. What are you, you talking? We, we believe in the providence of God. We believe God working this out. You know, I've never said this, and I'm going to say it to you now. I've never said this from the, so at that point, everybody gets phones out to record it because you're going to post. You post whatever you want. The famous words of this series is this. I really don't care anymore. So here it goes. You don't even know, but David Wilkerson, when this church started, invited me to become the youth pastor of this church. And weeks before coming, Brother Dave called me up and said, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Lord. And folks, look at me. It wasn't. I would have come as a single man. I wouldn't be sitting here with my wife. I wouldn't have my children. I wouldn't have any of, any of these. Who knows who I would have married? Thank God Brother Dave heard from the Holy Spirit. Thank God. Because God knew I wasn't supposed to come when the church started. Brother Dave knew I wasn't supposed to be. God knew that it needed to be 38, 30 years later that God needed to do something inside of me before bringing me here. So when something gets canceled, it looks like trap. Well, let me, let me say it to you like this. Because God is doing something. Listen, listen to Romans 8.28 paraphrase. It says this. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continu continuing 
continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers and we have been called to fulfill his designed purposes. See, you end up with wrong definitions when you don't understand God's providence. You misdefine who God is when you don't realize he's working things out on your behalf. God has you in view. God knew where you were going to be born. You don't even understand. God knew when you were to be born and where you were to be born. Listen, it says it in Acts 17, 26, and he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times. That's when you were born and the boundaries of their dwellings. You know what that means? He knew when you were going to be born and what city and country you're going to be born in. He knew all of that. See, the unseen hand of God in our lives is called providence, not chance, not coincidence. Providence is that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way of God of ruling his world and sustaining his people. He doesn't frequently over, around, under, through, and even in spite of, God is always doing it. Folks, listen, it's learning to see things differently. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? What could seem like a traffic jam may be God slowing you down to avoid something dangerous. Ready? Get ready now, single people. What could be defined as a breakup could be God rescuing you from a horrible marriage. That's good, Pastor Tim. What could be seen as downsizing at your company could be God opening up a door for you to go somewhere else because you didn't have the faith to do it on your own. I remember the first time I tried cooking something and reading the back of the box of Duncan Hines cake mix and looking at this going, the cake I eat and the ingredients here don't seem to match because it says you got to put in flour. I'm going, flour and, and a little bit of salt and, and oil. And I'm going, no, 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 it's cake. You put in sweet stuff. You put in chocolate and you put in syrup. And you put in sugar. You don't put it. And then it says, you got to throw it in the oven at 350. I'm going, that doesn't. But listen, but that's the ingredients. And God knows exactly. Because if all everything is chocolate chips and syrup and sugar, then folks, you don't get cake. You get some weird thing that's just come on. But God goes, some days are going to be chocolate chips, and some days are going to be raw eggs. And some days I'm going to have to throw you in a furnace, and it's going to get hot. But when everything's said and done, I'm going to get you to where you need to be and what God has planned for your life. Hey, talk about, there is no chance. I read this amazing story of a plane that leveled out at 14,000 feet, Joan Murray took a deep breath, jumped out the door out of Charlotte, North Carolina, high above Charlotte, was enjoying her, 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 I don't know, dozenth time skydiving. She pulled the ripcord for her parachute. Nothing happened, but she didn't get worried. She pulled her, her backup chute. She was falling at 120 miles per hour from 14,000 feet up, and it says that the the backup chute opened just fine, but then she lost her bearings and deflated the chute. And now she is plummeting at 80 miles an hour, 
down to Charlotte, North Carolina. And it says that she struck the earth with a violent blow that shattered her right side, jarred fillings from her teeth, barely conscious. Her heart was failing. And this is just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. She landed on a mound of fire ants. The southern people know about that. And all of a sudden, dis dis disturbing their giant mound, she said that by the end, after she hit it, she had 200 stings on her body from fire ants. And she survived. And the doctor said, the doctor said, it was the sting of the ants that shocked her heart to keep beating. That it would, folks, let me just tell you something. In all of Charlotte, North Carolina, only God can find the fire ants and say, that's where you're gonna fall. Because I need you to be around, Joan, for a little bit. See, providence is the hidden hand of God. It's God behind the curtain coordinating circumstances, snatching you from death that you didn't know was lurking around the corner, turning the table on the devil and making all things work together for his glory. The old Brooklyn pastor, DeWitt Talmadge, says it like this, kings, presidents, and politicians, they may plan and propose, and armies may march, congresses of the nations may seem to think they're adjusting the affairs of the world, but the mighty men of the earth are only the dust of the chariots of the wheels of God's providence. The best way to put it are the two words that Daniel told the most powerful man in the world who ruled the most powerful nation in the world, Babylon. And Daniel says these two words in Daniel 4.26. Don't miss these words. Here it is. Heaven rules. That's what he tells Babylon. He tells that to the king. He says, just so there's no mistake, you're not in charge. Heaven rules. When you're thinking of providence, this is the key verse that I want you to be thinking about. Here it is. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. This is what the apostle Paul says. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. It's the stuff that we just can't see and realize, that's what I'm fixing. It almost seems contradictory. Fixing your eyes on what? Fixing your eyes on, and this is what we're fixing our eyes on. Not simply on traffic, breakups, and downsizing. We're fixing our eyes on providence, going, God, you are working things together. Even though I don't see it, you're working. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Folks, someone sent me. It's legit. There's this, there's this demonic counterfeit game now that they advertise on Amazon. It's called the Holy Spirit Board goes right along with Ouija boards. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen to the description. The Holy Spirit board is the only spirit board designed to give you direct contact with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unlike other spirit boards, they're often used to contact ghosts and demons. But this board is a one-way ticket straight to heaven. Try it today and discover a new way to pray. That's, that's, that's what it says. I'm just reading the description. So one person writes, Got this as a last resort because I was in dire need to speak to Jesus. Listen to this. And after setting it up, tell me, tell me this doesn't sound like Jesus. After setting it up, at one minute and 16 seconds, I made contact. 
And it's been a while now, but I feel we're connecting so well. She's not connecting with Jesus. I'm telling you that right now. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, you don't need a spirit board to get a hold of Jesus. You fix your eyes on what is unseen. Now, listen, now for your phones, for your phones, there's now an app for an AI Jesus. You can ask AI Jesus questions. And, and, and in, this is what it said, instead of just getting a daily Bible verse, now you get a chance through this app to chat with Jesus or anybody else in the Bible. Let me say something to you. I got something to say. The AI people and the Holy Spirit board people, you're losing, you're losing the providence of God. You don't need a spirit board. You don't need an AI, you just need Christ in you, not AI Jesus. Folks, listen to me. That here's what's, this is why this letter U is so important. It's understanding an unseen God it's not to drive you to a Holy Spirit board. It's not meant to drive you to an AI Jesus. It's meant to fix your eyes on the unseen. Or as Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. But somehow AI Jesus is going to tell you everything you need to know. Folks, this is, this is so ridiculous because what you, what you miss is the plan and the plot of God, what he's trying to work in your life. The person that has been the founder or the pioneer to fight sex trafficking in the world is all the way back almost 80 years ago through the great missionary Amy Carmichael. She was the one that fought it, the missionary to India. Amy is from Ireland, and this is what was amazing. She told her story, and I was reading it. She said Amy would ask God. Her mother told her that God answers prayer. And so every day, Amy would ask. She had brown eyes, and every day she would ask, God, change my eyes to blue. Change my eyes to blue. And every day, she said, in her early years, she'd wake up, look in the mirror, as she would pray at night, change my eyes from brown to blue. And every morning, she'd wake up, and she said she would weep because God didn't answer her prayer. So she didn't go to AI Jesus. She didn't go to some spirit board, but at age 20, God sends her to India, starts a safe house for orphan girls that were being trafficked, sex trafficked there, some 80, 90 years ago. And her ministry, she personally rescued over a thousand girls from going and going into the temple that was there. And here's the bigger story. Amy learned that it was her brown eyes and her dark skin that hid her from being looked like as a foreigner when she'd walk into places and rescue these young girls. And God wasn't changing her blue eyes because God is mean. God's saying, I've got a bigger story for you. That what I'm gonna do is I'm not changing blue eyes. I'm gonna help you begin to rescue a thousand young girls. It's saying yes to a bigger story, which means, get this church, the providence of God even means the painful moments are God's design paths. God is working all this out. See, coincidence is what just happens. We don't believe in that. Providence is what is directed to happen by God. And this is where God begins to work all of this out. So now I want to take you on a quick journey for these next 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to close. Closing, you know what that means. 
nothing. <laughs> so here's, there is this interesting piece of prose that sometimes I'm reminded of when I read it, written by, written by Elizabeth Browning, and she says this. She says, earth is crammed with heaven. Every bush is aflame with the fire of God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest just pick berries. Just look at that again. Don't, don't pull that off the screen. Earth is crammed with heaven, which means God's, every, God's working never stops working. But he says it's only those who take off their shoes and realize God is doing something. And sometimes I find myself picking berries when I should be noticing what God is doing. Sometimes I'm picking berries and God goes, look, I'm here. My hand is here. My fingerprints are here. Look to see what God is doing. And this is where I want to share with you and close with taking you through a book probably of the greatest providence and fingerprints of God. So I'm going to ask you to stop for a moment. No berry picking here. And I'm going to take you to a book of the Bible that's going to help you to see those burning bushes on your job, in your life, in your apartment, in your neighborhood, whatever you're watching from around the world, in Nigeria, in Sweden, in the Netherlands, in Croatia, in Honduras, that God is going to begin to help you see it. So I'm going to take you on a journey, and then we're going to close today. I want to bring you to the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God, but has God in every chapter, and it's the book of Esther. Did you know that God's name is not even mentioned in the book of Esther? It's the only book of the Bible that his name is not even there. But folks, he is in every chapter. He is all over the place. It's the providence of God. It's the unseen hand of God working and never stopped working from chapter 1 through chapter 10. But I want to say this for somebody here today, for a number of you. The book of Esther is about someone who works and lives in a non-Christian environment. It seems that the biggest providence stories of, in the Bible are believers working with powerful non-believers. People like Joseph, Daniel, and Esther. You may be sitting here today, whether you work on Wall Street, whether you work at, whether you work at the UN, whether you're on Broadway or working in the entertainment industry, whether you have your own company, whether you're in law or whether you're working for the medical world, whether you're teaching in a university, wherever it may be, or whether you're, just, whether, whether, whether you're working just in retail, whether it's at Saks Fifth Avenue or at Duane, it doesn't matter. We're, the bulk of us work with unbelievers. This is your book. Esther is going to be your book. The life of Joseph is your story. Esther, Joseph, and Daniel. And it reminds us that you may not hear his name on your job, but I'm telling you, God is there. God is with you. Now, this is really important. Here's the part I want you to get. Is I, I'm going to take you on a whirlwind journey here. God, when you're thinking of providence, here's the part I need you to get. Now, just, just for a moment, just pause, stop picking berries, and just listen. God is thinking, providence thinks of, a, remember, higher thoughts, God's higher thoughts are always thinking of the greater story, not simply your personal comfort and prosperity. 
Oh, I knew that would be, get, get you really mad today. So I want you just to understand. God has a bigger story than just simply our subplot. I'm going to explain this to you. So that means when God has blessed you, and I, I know God has blessed people with, with finances, whatever you're, you're in. He's not doing that simply so you could be rich. He's doing that. That's your little story, but God has a bigger story from that. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, we'll get there. You'll say amen in a second. <laughs> he was making Esther queen not to go, that's what God wants for all the ladies. Who wants to put a crown? Listen, he was making her queen because a genocide was being planned to annihilate the Jewish race and God was going to put a Jew next to the king of Persia to stop a genocide. It wasn't about, I'm a queen, call me queen this, call me, I'm a queen. Okay, stop with that. That's your subplot. It's not the big story that God is working out. It's not a crown on your head. It's God giving you resources for God's bigger story. Some of you are looking at me going like, you're not going to get an offering from those rich people. I don't need your offering. I need you to understand providence. So you can sit there and go like, I'm not giving to this church. Good, keep your money. Live your own little plot. Some of you going, he's a mean pastor. Put him back on vacation. God is micromanaging all these subplots for his big story. Don't think your life or my life is the big story. God didn't put me here going, this is the story. No, no, no. I'm just a little, I'm just a little part of a bigger story that God, so are you. We're all part of that. Just uh, when I look at the choir and these musicians, whatever you play and you sing and all that stuff, you're just a little plot. I'm just a little plot. God has a bigger story for us. Don't live for the little plot. Live for the big story that God wants to do. All right, enough of that. Here are the characters of the book you got to just keep in mind, and then we're going to do the whirlwind. Here it comes. Here are the characters. King Ahasuerus. Here are the characters. King Ahasuerus, he's the king of Persia. Then there's Queen Vashti. She, she's in quick and out because she messes up big time. Uncle Mordecai is the Jewish uncle taking care of his niece, Esther. That's Esther, the niece. And then you're going to get wicked Naaman. Haman. He is the Hitler-esque type person that wants to destroy the Jews. Okay, let's start a journey. I'm gonna whirlwind journey on the providence of, everybody still with me? Okay, just, just hit your neighbor for a second. Say, get up, we're getting ready to go on a journey here. Okay, here we go. The name of God is not mentioned at all in Esther, but God is all over Esther. So here we go. You ready for this? Chapter 1. Many of the Jews were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon 
And many of them went back to Jerusalem to build the wall and to build the temple. You get Nehemiah, you get the book of Ezra. But keep this in mind, some stayed in Babylon, which would eventually become Persia. Mordecai and Esther didn't go back for the wall building, didn't go back for the temple, but Mordecai and Esther, for some reason, stayed in Persia, which is Babylon. Babylon becomes Persia when they were conquered. The Persian king is a Ahasuerus. So Ahasuerus throws a banquet and invites his queen, Vashti, and she refuses to come. Queen Vashti, the Bible says in verse 12, refuses to come at the king's command, then the king became very angry, his wrath burned within him. That's chapter one. Chapter two, the king is incensed and searches for a new queen. Mordecai hears about this, that Persia's got talent. And so now he has got to go ahead and say, let's get somebody here on the throne. So he brings his Jewish niece Esther and says, I want you to get in this contest, but if you get there, you can't tell them you're Jewish. So you're going to get there. So you're gonna, they're going to put makeup on you. You're going to have to walk through. You're going to have to look pretty and say nice things. But don't tell them you're a Jew. God miraculously works it out. Esther finds favor the queen, in the queen contest. She is chosen. And now there is a Jew in the palace. And nobody knows about it except Uncle Mordecai. Mordecai would come every day, chapter two. Get ready, here comes the first amazing thing. So you got a Jew on the throne that wasn't supposed to be there. Mordecai would walk by the window every day at the king's gate to check on his niece. And while he's sitting there one day, he hears that there's an assassination plot against Ahasuerus. Mordecai tells Esther, Esther tells the king, and it gets written, don't miss this, it gets written in this boring book of history. Listen, verse two, chapter two. In those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Fan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, guarded the door, became angry, and sought to lay hands on the king. There was assassination. But the plot became known to Mordecai, tells Esther, Esther informs the king in Mordecai's name when the plot is investigated and found out to be so, they were both hung on the gallows and here it comes. And it was written in the book of Chronicles in the king's presence. Okay, put that to the, everybody's still with me. Okay, here we go. Chapter three, the king for some reason promotes wicked Haman, Hitler, into authority. Each time he would come, Haman would come to the gate Everybody would bow to him except Mordecai. Mordecai couldn't bow to him based on the word of God. Can't bow to you, you're just a man. I only bow to God. I may be in Babylon, I may be in Persia, but I know my name is written down in glory, so I can't, I can't bow down to you. Well, wicked Haman got so angry that not only did he want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill all the Jews. It would be the first genocide being planned against the Jews. Here it is, verse 6, chapter 3. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. They told him the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman, wicked Haman, sought to destroy how many of the Jews? All the Jews. That's called a genocide. The people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. That's 127 provinces. Then Haman said to the king Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered, dispersed amongst us in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different and all the people, and they do not observe the king's law, so it's not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it's pleasing to you, king, here it comes, let it be decreed that they all be destroyed. 
I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put it into the king's treasuries. Verse 10, then the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Okay, everybody still with me? Okay, this is, just wait till chapter six. It gets awesome. Here we go. Chapter four, Mordecai starts to realize why there's a Jew in the palace. This is the big plot. Esther's not there going like, ooh, I'm a queen. No, she's not there for that. She's there for a bigger purpose. She's not there because she's pretty. She's there because God put her there. You're not on Wall Street because you got your MBA. God put you there. You're not playing for the Knicks or the Nets. You're not playing for the Rangers or the Islanders because you're such a great hockey player or because you're 6'10". God put you there. Stop yelling, okay. So Esther almost loses sight and believes in her little subplot of why she's in the palace. Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai, to come and remind her, don't chicken out. God put you there. And if you, and this Mordecai says this, if you don't do this and stand up for the Jews, he says, you're going to perish, but God is going to raise up somebody else. Listen to this. So he said, you've been put there, famous words, for such a time as this. Esther found the courage, told the Jews to fast and pray like we're going to do. And she will go to the king and says her famous words, if I perish, I perish but I'm going to get, I'm going there. Chapter five, you couldn't just walk in on the king. He had to extend his scepter. So she happens to walk in and he did it. He extended the scepter to Queen Esther. Esther came and spoke with him and he says to Esther, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Now, if I'm Esther, I'm going like, save the Jews. And so she goes, I want a dinner party. I'm going, dinner party? Seriously? Come on, girl. Save the Jews. She says, I want a dinner party for you and Haman. So it seems like she almost got fearful. So the king asks again at the dinner party and says, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And she says, this is what she says. She goes, come back the next night for another dinner party. I'm going, Esther, the clock is ticking. Come on, girl. You got to step up. You got to get this right. People are going to die here. Here's what it said. When Haman heard about party number two, and Haman went out that day, glad and pleased. But when Haman saw Mordecai, the guy that wouldn't bow in the king's gate, and he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself. However, he went to his house, sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, and then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches, the number of his sons, every instant that the king had magnified him and how he had, pro oh, this, how the mighty are about to fall. Here it comes. How he promoted him above the princes and the servants of the king. And Haman also said, even Esther, the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet that she has prepared. And tomorrow is banquet number two. And I am invited by her with the king, yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see that Mordecai the Jew sitting at the gate. And husbands, listen to your wife. <laughs> and Zeresh, 
his wife and his friends said, have gallows 50 cubits high in the morning and asked the king to hang more, have Mordecai hung on him, then go, joyfully go with the banquet and advise, pleased Haman. So he had gallows made. Now, folks, get ready. So, chapter 6. Jesus. Okay. Get your, get your hands ready. Buckle up. Buckle up. It all starts with insomnia and a sleepless night. Here it comes. The king has a sleep. He can't go to sleep in chapter 6. He didn't have NyQuil PM. Lavender essential oils. He didn't have that one either to rub on his ear or his big toe. So what he says is, bring me the most boring book we have in the palace. They go grab a book five years old called The Chronicles. They bring a book five years old and, and King Ahasuerus goes, read me what took place five years ago. Ooh, here it comes. Here it comes. Now remember, they happen to read a five-year-old book Five years old, and this is what it says. During the night, the king couldn't sleep, so he gives the order. Here, this is the essential oils. Bring the book of the records, the chronicles, and read it to me. Read me to sleep. And it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's units who were doorkeepers who sought to assassinate the king. And the king said, what honor and, and dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Folks, this, here, listen. So let me just say this. Though man forgot, God didn't forget. Here it comes. So the king said, Somebody's, there was somebody ruffling around in the court. So the king goes, who's in the court? They go, Haman had just entered the court, just entered. This is called the providence of God. Open that book up, sleepless night, keep his eyes open, angels. Bring that five-year-old book to him right now. Haman, you're so prideful, I'm gonna bring you into the king's court while he can't even sleep at night. Look at this, folks. Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging the guy that saved his life on the gallows which he had prepared for him. The king's servant said, behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Now folks, listen, here it comes. Let me help you on subplots again. If the subplot from Mordecai would have been, oh, you've rescued the king. Here's a commendation, here's a medal, and here's a $50 gift card to Olive Garden because you saved the king. Folks, some of you are sitting here, you're so upset because someone else got honored at your job. Someone else got the promotion. And you're going, I got forgotten. He got forgotten for five years. God goes, I'm not giving you an Olive Garden gift card. I'm not giving you a little condemnation. I'm commendation. I'm preparing you to save a whole nation is what I'm gonna do. So don't sit there and go, 
your little subplot. They didn't recognize me. They gave it to Billy over there. And Billy is dumb. And all of a sudden, you're thinking all this. And God's going, I'm in charge here. I'm working. Even when you don't feel it, I'm working. Even when you don't see it, I'm working. Jesus, here it comes. So the king says, who's walking around these courts? And Haman's there about to talk to him about hanging Mordecai, who the king wants to honor. Here it comes. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what is to be done? Doesn't even use Mordecai's name. What's to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, ooh, wicked people talking to themselves never goes good. Here it comes. Whom would the king desire to honor? Who? More than me. Then Haman, so, so we gotta get this. The king is thinking Mordecai. Haman is thinking himself. So Haman goes, here it is, this is awesome. Haman said, for the man the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, on whose head a royal crown has has been placed, and let the robe and the horse be handed over to the one whom the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires that this is going so bad, and lead him on horseback through the city, proclaiming these words, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Here it comes. Then the king said to Haman, get the robes. Get the horses and do this for the Jew. He says, do it for the Jewish guy that won't bow down to you, that you built the gallows for. Do it for the Jewish guy. And then he says this, and then I love that he puts in there who's sitting at the gate. He's upset that he sits at the gate because every time he walks by, he's sitting there like this, mean mugging him every single time as he's walking by. And he goes, get the Jew who's sitting at the gate and do not fall short in anything that you said. Here it is. So Haman took the robe, the horse, arrayed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city. You had to know that proclamation wasn't good. Thus it shall be done to the man who the king desires to honor. You know this didn't go well. And folks, here's, here's what's awesome. And then after all this, after all that, and I wish I would have seen his face. I wish I would have been there. Because the Bible says he runs home and starts crying. 
And while he's crying to his wife going, I can't believe this. They're honoring more. And all of a sudden, Esther goes, sends a messenger. They want you back at the banquet. He shows up at the banquet. Chapter 7. Musicians come. Chapter 7. Keep in mind, God's not mentioned in this book. God is all over this book. Then Queen Esther goes, if I found favor in your sight, this is meeting number two. And if it pleases the king, let my life be given as my petition, my people as my request. We have been sold out. And I, my people, are about to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. And now, if we only had been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. But this trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance of the king. Then King Ahasuerus says, who is he? And where is he who presume to do this? And Esther goes, a foe, an enemy. It's wicked Haman. And Haman becomes terrified before the king and the queen. And verse 9, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, someone built gallows. <laughs> who built those gallows? Haman built them. For who? And so somebody goes, somebody built some gallows over there. I got an idea. Let's hang them on them. Verse 10, they hung Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. The king's anger subsided. Haman hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Folks, let me just end it right here. Verses 8, chapters 8 through 10. Mordecai is given now the king's ring. An edict is given to the Jews to defend themselves. It says Mordecai, the Jew, I love it, keeps saying the Jew, was second only to King Ahasuerus, great among the Jews, in favor with his kinsmen who sought the good of his people, who spoke of the welfare of the entire nation. Folks, this is providence. This is God. God shows up in 10 chapters in a bigger plot. Esther wasn't queen by luck or good fortune. Mordecai didn't stay back in Persia because he thought it was a good business decision. God was taking their subplots and forming a bigger plot. You're going to rescue an entire nation. You're going to stop a genocide. I'm going to make you queen. I'm going to make you second in charge. I'm going to put you in the right place. And everything people has designed to hurt you, God goes, I'm going to turn it on them because I'm working on your behalf. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Woo. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Whew. I'm tired. Can I just tell you real quick? Do you actually think if you're here today and don't know Christ, you're here by accident? God ordered your steps here. You're not here on accident. Some of you have been sitting here today going, I can't believe I said yes to this church. That man is spitting on everybody. He's sweating all over the place. He's yelling at people who have money. He's doing all this. Seriously. So you're going, God ordered your steps to be here today.
Listen. You may be watching from different parts of the United States and around. Someone may have sent you this, and I'm here to tell you. You may work at a job that is literally godless, in an industry that is godless. Your stories are Daniel, Joseph, and Esther. It's God going, my name may not be mentioned. In fact, the only time my name is mentioned is as a curse word. That's okay. God goes, it doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because you don't see scriptures pasted. Some of you are going like, I just want to work at a church. Listen, sometimes churches are harder than, than anything else. Stay in your spot. And realize you have 10 chapters in the book of Esther that says even when you don't feel it, he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. He's never not working on your behalf. I just feel strongly to say this. In a moment, I'm going to ask us to sing that, that to get to the, the, the chorus and the bridge. Chorus and the bridge. Now, now, let me just say this. Some of you still believe in coincidence, luck, and today something just showed you. There can't be coincidence, luck and chance, and God at the same time. Impossible. And for all my Puerto Rican friends, imposible. <laughs> Can't. Can't. It's impossible. And some of you are going like, good luck, good luck. I, I've had Christians tell me that. I've had, I was going to speak somewhere and someone goes, I had a person who's been born and raised in a church like for 30 years ago. Good luck for your speaking thing. Who are you? And what church do you go to? We don't believe in luck. The place you want to be is in Christ. When you're in Christ, you're in the right place at the right time. That's what it is. And some of you, let me just tell you, some of you are trying to live your life with good fortune, good luck. I just try to be good to people and it will come back to me. That's nonsense. Live for Jesus. You'll always, you'll always be in the right place. But some of you don't have a relationship with God today. So I just want to speak to those that think chance, luck, good fortune have given you what you did. And I'm telling you, look, look at me. It didn't. You're not a professor at Fordham or NYU because of good luck and good fortune. The Bible says God reigns upon the just and the unjust. He gives and God will take away. And I'll tell you, Cindy and I will tell you a story one day about how we found out that God gives and takes away. He gives sometimes, that, well, well, that's another story. But if you're here today, I'm here to tell you, it's time to get God in your life and stop living by chance, luck, coincidence, because it doesn't exist. God exists. You may be visiting from another country, another state. You may be here because some concierge at one of the local hotels here in Manhattan said, you said, I like to hear a gospel choir, and you're here, but you couldn't leave today. You felt like you had lead shoes, and you couldn't walk out of this place today. And even when you try to leave, your wife's going, mm-mm, we're staying. And God is speaking to you. The Bible says today is a day of salvation, which means get God in your life. Push aside luck, coincidence. Push aside the fantasy that those things have done anything for you. Any blessing 
that you have in your life comes from a good God, a God that's able to do it. Let him work things out for you. And if you're here today and say, I need God in my life, I need him in my life, online and in person, I need God to come in and change me from the inside out. I'm living for the wrong things and hoping in the wrong things. I'm putting my hope and trust in God today. If that's you without any hesitation, every eye up and going, I want God in my life. Hold up your hand high. Say, pray for me, Pastor Tim. Hold up your hand as high as you can. There, 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 there. Keep them up high. I want to see. There, 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 there. Balcony, keep them up. I want to see. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay, here it is. Here's what I'm going to ask you. With your hands up, hold them up high one more time. Hold them up as high as you can. I want to, I'm going to make sure I see every hand that's up, every hand that's up. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to make a declaration of the providence of God. I'm here to hear this message. Balcony, it's going to take a lot. Online, you're going to type in, I'm making a decision. But if that's you and you raise your hand, get out of your seat right now and come meet me right here to say, I believe God brought me here for this reason. Come on, get out, get out, get out. As fast as you can. Balcony, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. Come on down. Come on, Balcony. This is the moment. God, come on. I'm waiting for you. I'll wait for you. Come on. Come on, sir. God brought you down. Come on, ma'am. God brought you down here. Come on. God brought you. I saw you first. God was touching your heart. I'm so happy. Come on, quickly. God's brought you guys. God's brought you guys. Balcony, we're waiting for you. Husband and wife. Husband and wife came down together. That's awesome. Come on, we're waiting for you. God's doing something. God's doing something. God's brought you here. God brought you here today. He brought you here today. How many that are at this altar? You guys are all friends? All friends. Team challenge. Yeah, you got it right. There's no coincidence. David Wilkerson came for one thing, but you're here because God's providence started Teen Challenge program. Balcony, we're waiting for you. We're going to wait a few more minutes because I know, Balcony, you're making your way down. Listen, how many here, this is your first time in the church? Just raise your hand. You're, this is your first time. How did you end up here today? My, friend, my best friend comes here. Your best friend and just invited you to come down. Yeah, he's actually not here today, but I decided to So your best friend invited you to church. He didn't even show up, but you said you <laughs> God never stops working. God never stops working. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. Come on, ma'am. Come on. I've been waiting for you. I saw you. I saw you in the balcony. I saw you in the balcony. Come on. Come on. Come on, balcony. Come on, balcony. I'm so excited to see you guys. I'm so happy you came down. Come on, balcony. Listen. In at Yankee Stadium, they may call you the bleacher creatures, the ones that sit up in the, in the farts. But listen, those are the people I love the most. I love our balcony people. Our balcony is awesome, and we'll wait for you guys. We're so happy you guys are here. What a blessing. How let me ask one more time. How many is your first time at Times Square Church? How, how, did, how, did, you, how did you end up here? He, you invited her? Your grandparents invited you to come. First time here. And you just came. This is, I'm so excited that you came. You're making the greatest decision of your life. And here's what we're going to do. I, we're all going to pray this together. It's inviting Christ to come in. It's saying, I'm not living my life by chance, accident, or luck. I'm living my life for God now. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. God, come into my life and change me from the inside out. I want to be born again. Just say so you have a first birth. This is your second birth spiritually. 
That's what's going to happen. Let's all with them say this out loud. Come on, pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. I'm so happy. My heart is so happy what God's going to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.